It's Home Court Press Utah Jazz Talk with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. Today, McCade and I recap Friday night's win against the Western Conference power, the Los Angeles Clippers. Mike Conley approaches a franchise record for threes made in a single game with seven. That's right, seven threes, one game, as he leads the Jazz with 33 points and seven assists. Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors fight off foul trouble to make things difficult for the Clippers offense all night near the basket. But first, Jordan Clarkson gets fined for making contact with an official, fair or foul from the NBA. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. Jump ball, we're underway, 2021. Joe, yes, Ingles jingles in his first three of the night. Conley feeling it, T, right now. Why not? Three more. And you find a Mike Conley for three. Is that the blender? That's the blender right there. There you go. Donovan to his left hand. Passes out to Conley. Back out. Royce O'Neal rotates in. Again, the blender pumps a shot out to Conley. Oh, my, what a night. He scored the last 12 points last night against Phoenix. Oh, just beat the buzzer. Conley, cool, calm. Knocks home a three. Ibaka slip pass, Rudy fouled and won! Get big man! Tonight though, they bounce back and knock off the Los Angeles Clippers. Welcome into Home Court Press. Brian Priest joined by McCade Pearson as always. McCade, we are talking about a Jazz win. They are home last night, Friday night, taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and it was a game of runs. The Jazz go up by 18. Clippers cut the lead down to one. I think they cut the lead to one two different times after the Jazz had gotten it up into double digits. And, I mean, really, the important thing is they come out with a W. How, what did you think about it, McCade? Was there anything that stood out to you? Is it an improvement, or was it just another win and there's still a lot of things to be worked on? All of the above. First of all, I, when teams cut leads, I like to see what's the lowest they get it when they have the ball. And you're right, the Clippers did cut it to to, uh, one point on two different occasions. But both times the Jazz came back, and I believe hit a three, but for sure scored and made sure the Clippers never really had a chance to take the lead. So that's really good and important. You like to see the lead built in the first place. That's great. Mike Conley had an awesome night because, you know, he just looked fantastic. And our Buckeyes won in the semifinals. So that's fantastic. Um, But, you know, it was was a good game. It's still one game. We still haven't had a two-game win streak or two-game lose streak this season. We're now going on out on a huge seven-game road trip. But last night's game was really, really good for the Jazz. And as always, any win's good for the Jazz. So before we start getting too deep into the game, McCade, I want to talk about one thing from Thursday night against the Suns. Apparently, Jordan Clarkson, if you remember, there was a, a play where he stole the ball off an in- inbounds pass and then lost it out of bounds himself after running into an official. And he... He put two hands on the official and extended those arms. I don't know if I would call it a push, but the NBA felt like it was a push. He was given a technical at the time, and now he's been fined $25,000 for contact with the official. I personally think it's a little bit extreme. I didn't think there was anything nefarious about the push. It was a frustration of, I just stole the ball, I turned the corner, I'm trying to get to the basket, and, ah, there's an official in my way. I, I think it's a totally understandable reaction from Clarkson. What did you think about the fine? Yeah, so I was talking to Ronnie Nunn on Twitter. Um, for those who don't know, Ronnie Nunn was an NBA official for, oh, how long was it, 25 years? A long time. Ref 73 playoff games, four NBA final games, an all-star game, 
2,000, I mean, not 2,000, 1,200 NBA games, was the head referee for uh, probably 10 years. Anyway, I was talking to him on Twitter, and he thought he should, Carson should have got A, um, ejected last night, well, two nights ago now, and then B, suspended. So either he was wrong wow. or the NBA is getting a little lighter on these things. Um, maybe this is inconsiderate me to say, but it's a fine. It's $25,000. We can move on. It's not that big of a deal, but I'm not the one giving up $25,000. So... <laughs> I'll say that lightly. They yeah, a little fun extracurricular activities there from Jordan Clarkson that cost him twenty five grand. Hey listeners, wanted to tell you about something that I discovered recently that's pretty cool. It's called Joyful.gifts. Joyful.gifts is a service that makes gift giving easy and simple. You tell them who you want to give gifts to, you set a budget, and then they select buy, and ship your gifts automatically to every occasion while you have that peace of mind. Best of all, you actually save some money since the software continuously monitors the web for the best prices for you. If you want to give it a try, it's at joyful.gifts. No www needed, no .com, just type joyful.gifts in your browser and you're set to go. I don't know, man. He didn't get suspended. I, I don't see it. I didn't think he intentionally oh, pushed the it official. It, it was a strange play, and I, I do get the frustration. I kind of understand the technical, but even at that, I, I thought it was a little bit extreme. I, but to be fined and suspended, that seems like it ludicrous. I honestly look at it like, you know how every year there's various points of emphasis in the NBA with the officiating? And this... Obviously, pushing officials probably is not a point of emphasis, but every season they just they call things a little bit tighter early in the year, and then things loosen up. They be, they go back to normal as the year progresses. I don't think Jordan Clarkson gets fined for this in February, if it happened then, as opposed to it happening in December, four or five games into the season. Yeah, and you know, textbook, it's okay. There's two hands, and both hands extended, but you watch it, and you're right. It wasn't really a push. So weird situation. It's fun having those same refs the next night because COVID and not having the refs travel as much. Yeah. We had almost the exact same ref crew last night. Um, but in all honesty, refereeing does not make that much of a difference, not as much as fans want to claim. So it is what it is, but we can move on, and hopefully it's the end of that whole fiasco. All right, so let's start talking about the game now. One of the things we talked about after the Phoenix game, McCade, was – the Jazz really need to put an emphasis on starting faster and being able to dictate the action offensively. And that's something that I thought they were able to do against the Clippers. There were some lulls. There were definitely some points in the game. There was a second quarter stretch, I think probably eight to 10 minutes long where the offense really struggled, but they were able to, they had already set a tone. They had dictated that action. They had built a lead and it's a lot easier to go through those offensive lulls when you have a 15, 18, 20-point lead than it is when you're already down seven and now the ball's not going in. You find yourself pressing a lot more when it's a close game or you're behind and the the offense stops working as opposed to, hey, we've been going pretty well for a while, we've built a lead, Clippers start to chip away at it, but we have that lead and, and something to kind of lay back on. And and I think that's what makes the biggest difference for the Jazz last night is that fast start allowed them to work through the offensive struggles when they came. Yeah, and that's key because, don't get me wrong, it's not a great thing to blow a 20-point lead, especially twice, but that does happen in the NBA. Runs are a thing, especially in the three-point era. The Jazz went up because they hit, what, five threes and seven possessions or something crazy like that. Like, runs are a thing, and so you're going to blow leads. 
But how you react to that and how you can piece that together and get the offense back on track is going to decide if you win those games or not. And the Jazz made the plays when they had to. They made very important plays. Specifically, Mike Conley was fantastic. And they were able to escape with a win. And that's what it is. You say they make the plays when they have to. You mentioned off the top of the show how the Clippers were able to cut the lead to one on two different occasions, once in the first half and then once in, I think it was in the fourth quarter. And each time the Jazz responded with a three-pointer and then a run of their own. I remember in the first half, Donovan Mitchell hit a three to put them back up four, and then they went on, I think they went on an eight or 11-0 run of their own and, and got the lead from one right back up to 15 or 16, and that's what you have to do. Like you said, everybody's going to make a run. It's the NBA. Everybody's good. Everybody's great. This is a Clippers team that widely considered one of the best in the Western Conference, and it's a loaded Western Conference. So if you're the Jazz, you know you have to go in and play tough and do everything you can to come out with this win. And being able to respond to those runs is something that I think speaks well for the ability of this team going forward. Yeah, that 8-0 run to end the quarter. So you're right, they could have won. Donovan and Mike hit back-to-back threes, and you have the easy layup to end the half. Boom, you're back to nine. I think it was a favors dunk. Yeah. And then you started the second half on a 9-0 run with back-to-back-to-back threes by Donovan, Mike, and Royce. And boom, 17-0 run, you're back up 18. You think it's the ball game. Of course, the Clippers will make another run. But you know, those are the kind of things that lead to winning, those little tiny plays, those momentum swings. And it was great. Um, we talked about Mike Conley, 33 points, 7-3, which was one short of the Jazz record, which, by the way, I looked that up because he was just hitting a whole bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the record's Jeff Hornacek, and he did it on an 8-for-8 eight eight shooting night. Like, I could not imagine a player in 2021 going 8-for-8 eight eight from three. Like, who shoots 8 threes and makes them all and doesn't attempt a night? I actually remember that game. That was it was either ninety five or ninety six against Seattle, right? Yeah, I think it was ninety five, ninety six season in December ninety five or something like that. Yeah, I, he was he was incredible that night. Like you know, because uh, I think Boyan has an eight, and it was like eight for fourteen, or like yeah, I just thought an eight for eight night was super weird. Mike looked great, arguably his best game as uh, a Jazz man. Joe Ingles, I think I'm gonna look into this, and I'm gonna try and create a new stat that um, gets a weight. That just gives a player a weight on how important they are to winning. Because it seems like when Joe Ingles plays well, he had 11, 8, and 7 last night. The Jazz win. And when Joe Ingles disappears, the Jazz lose. I think he might have one of the most big, I don't even know how to word this, one of the biggest weights on our team. Um, but yeah, they looked really, really good. I also want to hit on Favors. Fantastic. This is what we brought him here for. And Rudy has a meg game. You need the bench to be positive. Favors was a plus 6 last night, 14, 11. When Gobert got in some air quotes foul trouble. But uh, Favors played great, really, really good, solid start-to-finish win. I mean, the Jazz had some rough patches, but you're going to have that 48-minute game all the time. But a really, really good 48-minute game and a 48-minute win. Let's talk about Gobert and Favors and what they were able to do last night. Gobert gets into foul trouble early. I'm saying foul trouble in air quotes. I know that's not something you really believe in. And I think Rudy has shown that he probably deserves a little bit longer leash when he does get in foul trouble, when he gets that third foul with six minutes left in the first half. I think he's he's earned the right to stay on the floor because he's a smart player and he doesn't typically make bad fouls. Even with the foul trouble, Rudy played well when he was on the floor, but Derek Favors was able to get a lot more run last night than he has early this season. He came into the game averaging about 15 minutes a game. Last night plays 23 and a half minutes. He goes 6 of 12 from the field. He finishes with 14 total points. He's got double-figure rebounds at 11. And I thought 
I think that's one of the things that last year, as jazz fans, we just didn't have at all. We had Tony Bradley and Ed Davis filling in for those minutes behind Rudy Gobert. And if Rudy gets in foul trouble last year and and Davis and Bradley have to combine for 23, 24 minutes, the Jazz lose this basketball game. But the way Derek Favors was able to step up into that role and still provide the defensive presence while offensively being just as effective, both Rudy and Derek were 50% from the field. Rudy, 5 of 10. Favors, 6 of 12. And that's a luxury that the Jazz have that so many other teams in the league don't, is that backup center that can still give you at or near all NBA minutes. Yeah, it was fantastic to see. I will say a couple things there. Favors, four offensive rebounds. The Jazz were like 25th in offensive rebounding last year. They're first right now. They're up over 30%. Um, for comparison, league average is about 25%. League average in the 90s and 2000s was about 35%. So the whole league just dropped away from offensive rebounding. Good to see the Jazz back doing that because they need those extra possessions. And Favors had four big offensive rebounds last night couple more things. You had mentioned Joe Ingles, and, and I just wanted to hit on how good Joe Ingles was last night. I think Joe has shown he's one of the highest variance players on this team. And it's it's not even so much always a variance of he just doesn't have it tonight versus he, he's playing a good game on another night. It's Joe Ingles brings whatever the Jazz need on a night-to-night basis. If he needs to be that ball handler and create and spend most of his time on the floor doing that, then he's capable of doing it. If he needs to stand in the corner and hit some threes and and be more of a scorer for the team, he's able to do that. If he needs to lock down defensively and get a couple stops, he's able to do that for the Jazz. And it's so important to to have that flexibility from Joe Ingles coming off of the bench. He's a guy that can start when you need him to if you decide to rest somebody or if injuries come up. He never complains. He's just he's the perfect guy to have as your sixth or seventh man. And I love when Joe has games like this because it shows that he's, he's just as capable of playing the NBA game today as he was three or four years ago. A lot of people have talked about him losing a step. But I think it's just a matter Joe of Joe Ingles does what the team needs. With. Let me throw that out there. Joe never had a step to begin with. <laughs> That's a very good point. No, but yeah, Joe was fantastic. It's fun to see Joe Ingles be able to do this and, and kind of shut up some of the haters out there. Thanks for tuning in today. It's season two of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review so that we can expand our audience. Home Court Press can also be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter as well at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. And take note. Now, back to the show. Oh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, McCade, before we wrap up on this recap episode is the tightened-up rotation. You and I have both been calling for Shaq Harris and Mia Oni to possibly get some minutes, and last night, Quinn Snyder actually went the opposite direction. They only played nine guys and really only had eight in the rotation. George Niang played two minutes and 30 seconds last night, and nobody else played less than 21 this is something I wouldn't be surprised to see when we get into the playoffs or late in the season and must-win games. I'm a little bit surprised to see it in the first week of January, though. Yeah, the last night is an important game because 
a there's a chance you could end the season with a tie, or at least you're in the season right next to the Clippers in the standings. So winning against the Clippers is obviously a good thing. Um, and B, tiebreakers. I know we're already talking about tiebreakers in December, early January, because they're just so important this year. But you now have two chances in L.A. at the end of February to win this tiebreaker series, um, having the 1-0 lead. And going, and so going to um, the Jazz play the Clippers two games in a row in L.A. in late February. So that's a good win. I like going all out, but I would like to see a little bit different rotation moving forward. We got some, knock on wood, lack of a better term, easier games coming up on the seven-game road trip, a back-to-back in New York. So maybe we do see some deeper bench guys on this trip. But, um, yeah, the Jazz kept it really, really tight last night, which reminds me what I was going to say earlier. Um, Jazz, the Clippers cut it to, what, four or five points with about four minutes to go, and the Jazz subbed out favors for Gobert. I think that would have been a great opportunity to get some favors go bare minutes. Because when you're up six, four, eight, with three, four minutes to go, and you just need to stop the team from scoring eight points the rest of the way, that's when you can use the favors go bare lineup just to be yep. so good defensively. They can't score eight points in four minutes, let alone eight more points than you. I totally so that, yeah, agree. I was going to bring that up with the rotation. That we still haven't seen any. We did see 0.2 seconds of favors go bare minutes this season. Um, I would like to see more, especially when we're up. It's a good way to hold leads. Can, could we call that the Python lineup that they just get the stranglehold and and squeeze the life out of a team? I don't, that might not be a good nickname. We'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> we'll come up with something. We'll keep throwing stuff at the wall and see how that works out. Hey, so last thing, McCade, we're looking at this seven game road trip coming up. What to you would be an acceptable record when the Jazz come home from that that road trip? You have to go four and three. You have to beat Cleveland, Detroit, New York, and one other. Basically, Cleveland. Detroit, New York, and Washington. And then I think you have to steal at least one, if not two, of San Antonio, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. So really these first two games are going to be key in setting the tone for the road trip because there's a decent chance you get lazy one night. It's a back-to-back in Washington. You're just exhausted as the seventh game. And set, you know It's only a week-and-a-half road trip. It's super short for seven games. So there's a good chance the Jazz drop one to a bad team at the back end. So you really got to set the tone early by beating the Spurs on Sunday and then trying to steal the Brooklyn-Milwaukee game. Um, but yeah, you for sure got to go 4-3, and three, if not 5-2 and two on this road trip. I 100% agree with you. I think at minimum to feel good about this trip, you have to go 4-3. and three, And if you come home at 5-2, and two, you feel really good. You're looking at an 8-3 and three record at that point in time. And you're off and running here in this early season. Uh, the Jazz next in action, that's going to be Sunday night. They travel down to San Antonio, taking on DeMar DeRozan and the San Antonio Spurs. They sit at 2-3 and three on the season. They won their first two games before losing their last three, two of them to the Los Angeles Lakers. LaMarcus Aldridge on the injury report right now with a knee issue. He didn't play on Friday, and he's listed as day-to-day, so we'll keep an eye on that, whether the Jazz are going to face him. DeMar DeRozan leading that Spurs team, as we've kind of come to expect the last two or three years. But it should be a good game down in Texas. The Jazz and Greg Popovich and the Spurs always play good games together. McCade, where can I find you on social media? You can find me at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And, yeah, we got, we got early Jazz games. Five o'clock tip also in the next week and a half. Five o'clock tip. McCade, we haven't discussed it, but we might actually sit down late Sunday night and do an instant reaction after that Spurs game. We'll see how that goes. But you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter, at BPriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. And if you like the show, Home Court Press, please remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review so more people can find the show. And last but most important, Jazz Nation, get out there and take note.